Hey everyone, and welcome to the Tower Hill Church Podcast. This is Pastor Jason. Gerard, who's usually with me, uh, is home for a little while. He and his wife Claire have had their baby, and I know that uh, we've been talking about that, so we're super excited for him and his family, and he'll join us as soon as he is able to get some sleep. So uh, this week, we're starting a new sermon series, and I'm really, really excited about it. It's called Credo. Credo is Latin for I believe. It's where we get the word creed from. We are doing the next seven weeks on really unpacking the Apostles' Creed and asking the question, what is it that Christians say they believe? I'm really excited about this because in our church, our traditional service, they say the Apostles' Creed nearly every week. But, you know, when something is so familiar, it's easy to lose its meaning. It's easy to lose its punch as, as it becomes familiar to us. And then at our contemporary service, the thing that's really cool is we, we don't say the Apostles' Creed in there usually every week. And so this is an opportunity to teach the creed and for us to say it piece by piece. So I'm excited for you to listen in. This is week one. We talk about, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I'll start with a little bit of an apology, is that this sermon is really dependent on some visuals that I was able to do for our contemporary service um, because it's pretty technical. When it gets into the part where I'm talking about creation, it gets technical and there are different slides on there. So I'm sorry, it, we don't have a way to translate that at the moment, but uh, we are working on getting the technology available so that we can stream our services and then uh, it won't matter because you can watch it live. So anyway, until that time, again, um, do your best. Uh, I'm sh- hopefully it will all still make sense. And I hope that you enjoy it. Here it is, week one of Credo. We're going to take the next seven weeks and we're going to go through this question of what do you believe? And we're going to use the Apostles' Creed in order to talk about it. Credo, of course, is a word where, that we get the word creed from. And a creed is not exactly the same as a belief. A creed is authoritative. A creed is a written down statement of belief that says, I'm going to live this way and my behavior is going to follow. That I believe this is true for my life here and now. And so I'm going to live accordingly. When I think of uh, creeds, the Apostles' Creed, of course, I think about pole vaulting. As I'm sure you do, pole vaulting. (laughs) Any pole vaulters here? I guess I'm the only one. <laughs> pole vaulting. Pole vaulting. Why are you laughing? Pole vaulting is absolutely beautiful. It's like one of those things that I can't believe humans do it. It's one of those. Every time the Olympics come around, I'm, I watch pole vaulting. I love it. It's incredible. It's so graceful. And they fling themselves in the air. They're just the physics of it, which I don't understand, is absolutely amazing. They could get over this incredibly high bar and just the celebration that when they make it. It's absolutely incredible. Well, I think our beliefs, the the way that we uh, go about living our lives are sort of like pole vaulting. Pole vaulting, I, I don't know a ton about pole vaulting, but I know enough to know that it takes a great deal of precision. A great deal of precision. I mean, so many different factors are going in. So, so that Vaulter has to run with a pole that's you know, bending the whole way and has to hit something called a strike plate. 
If the vaulter does not hit the strike plate correctly, they can't execute the jump. They can't vault. They have to hit that thing absolutely perfectly. I think the correlation here is that life is like pole vaulting, and the strike plate is like what we put our trust in, what we believe in. And there are a lot of different strike plates that we can choose to try to make the jump of life, to get over the bar. And I think a creed is a way of saying, okay, if faith in Jesus Christ is the strike plate, I want to make sure that I hit the right one. I want to make sure I hit it. I believe this strike plate against all other strike plates is the one that I want to hit. Go ahead and go to the next slide. This is the one that I want to hit. So how do I make sure that I hit it? Well, just like a pole vaulter, I got to make sure I aim for it. I have to calculate it. I have to use whatever technique I can to make sure I hit the strike plate correctly. I think that's the function of the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is the technique that ensures that we hit the strike plate of faith in Jesus Christ correctly. It gives us a tool to understand what faith in Jesus Christ is all about. The Apostles' Creed is the technique. Now, a little bit about the creed. The Apostles' Creed most likely was not written by the apostles. It's okay. Just take a breath for a minute. It's okay. Uh, And the reason is, they didn't need to write it down at first. They knew what they believed. Stuff gets written down when people start forgetting. So, uh, the thing I can say about the creed is early forms of the creed were definitely used in the very beginning of the church. But it was an oral repetition. Remember, you had a lot of uneducated people. They, They weren't just reading a written down creed and reciting it. They were learning it by somebody passing it down to them orally. And, and those things that the creed talks about were in existence in the very beginning of the church. So in a way, you can say the apostles wrote it, but they probably physically didn't write it down. They might have, but the chances that they didn't live to be, uh, you know, like 200 years old. So in 180 AD, the Apostles' Creed, the earliest version of the Apostles' Creed was written down because of one person, some dude named Marcion. Marcion was the first in Christian history that we would consider to be heretics. Which just basically means like false belief. So Marcion, it didn't seem like he was hitting the strike plate. In fact, he wasn't even hitting the same strike plate and he was telling everybody that he was. Now we never hear today of Marcionites or the Marcion church because they didn't last. But they were a thing. Back in the day. And they went for like two centuries. That's a really long time. This whole movement. Now, Marcion's big big issue was, is that, now don't everyone convert to Marcionism because, because of this, but he said, okay, well, the God of the Old Testament, that's clearly not Jesus. So we're just gonna get rid of the Old Testament. I know there are a lot of people that wish we could do that. You've missed so much blessing. Anyway. That God's angry, or that's not the Jesus God, so we're just going to get rid of that. And then the New Testament, let's see here. Well, um, the Gospel of Luke seems to be good, but Matthew, Mark, and John, we don't need those, so we're going to get rid of those. And we're going to keep most of the letters of Paul. And the idea was, Jesus alone is God. There's no Father or Holy Spirit. It's just, it's just Jesus is God. And so what happened was, was all, with the churches, the church 
was like, whoa, 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 no, wrong strike plate. You're leading everybody astray. We got to write this down. This is not what we all learned when we were baptized. We got to write this down. And so one of the things that you notice right off the bat is that the Apostles' Creed is very Trinitarian in its language. It talks about Father, Son, Holy Spirit because that was the issue. It's very Trinitarian. How many of you already know the Apostles' Creed? Some of you may know it. You may know it from church life, and many don't. It's okay. There's no, you don't have to know it before coming into this series. We're going to go, by, um, go through it step by step. But it's very Trinitarian. It talks about Father, and then it talks about Son, and then it talks about Holy Spirit. Because it's in response to this guy, Marcion. And so when we say that it's Trinitarian, uh, this is another thing people say. They say, well, Pastor, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. And I say, you're absolutely right. But the Trinity is in the Bible. The theology of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons in one God, is all through the Scripture. I'm just going to show you a couple examples here. So let's look at three persons. There's actually one passage. Actually, there's more than one passage. But this passage shows all three in the same passage. If you go to that passage of Ephesians. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches... He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So certainly the whole idea of Trinity is in the scripture, even if that word is not. But then we can't just say there's three gods because it is tethered to the Old Testament. It is tethered to the belief that Jesus said that there is one God. So we go to Deuteronomy, which was, this was the passage that every Jewish child would have learned, including Jesus. This is the first thing they memorized, is something called the Shema. And it goes like this, hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So the creed really seeks to explain that God is three and God is one. It's the only way that you get to who Jesus really is. The only way to ensure that you're hitting the right strike plate. I think a way of thinking about a creed is to say, the creed says in brief what the scriptures say at length. It's a summary of the scriptures. So that when somebody asks you what you believe, you can tell them something sort of brief. And I'd be like, well, page one. In the beginning, right? That's the purpose of the creed. And the creed begins with, I think, the four most powerful words, I believe in God. Think about how powerful, even often volatile, these words can be. Wars have started over these words. I believe in God. We are so blessed that we don't live in a country that gets persecuted like other parts of the world, but people say this, and it's literally life and death on the other end. I believe in God. For us, it's a different kind of persecution in America, right? It's it's, uh, uh, maybe our reputation we're afraid will die. That if we're around a certain group of people and we say out loud, I believe in God, because I feel like we're in such like an ask, don't ask, don't tell, you know, I won't talk about my faith if you don't talk about yours, and... And we're a little scared to say, I believe in God, because maybe then we won't be included in whatever group we want to be included in. Because it's true that in the public arena of ideas, 
We could say the smartest things, and as soon as we say, I believe in God, people are like, well, he's an idiot. Well, clearly, that's, that's the end of that intellectual discourse. I believe in God. What kind of God? I think this leads to a, a late-night talk show that I was watching uh, just this last week, Stephen Colbert. Stephen Colbert had on Ricky Gervais. And uh, anybody, anybody see this? Uh, Ricky Gervais, Stephen Colbert, and, and Stephen Colbert is a very strong Catholic, and he teaches Sunday school, and he talks about faith pretty regularly, and, uh, and he's good. I mean, he knows what he's saying, and he had to sit down, Ricky Gervais, who's a comedian, super funny guy, uh, but also a very pronounced atheist. He talks about his atheism a lot, that he believes in science, not religion, and, uh, and so he, I love Stephen Colbert. He's like, let's debate the existence of God on a late night talk show, and so it went about like you think it would. You know, just a couple of sound bites. And I thought Colbert had him. He had him on the ropes. And then Ricky Gervais says, what's up on the screen? And, and Stephen Colbert didn't know how to react. And it was the end of the interview. He said, he said look, there are 3,000 different gods in the world that I can choose from. I just don't believe in one more than you. See, so you don't believe in 2,999 gods. Well, I just don't believe in 3,000. And Stephen Colbert was like, that was good. I don't know to say that, you know. And that was sort of the end of the interview. In his reasoning, you know, in the atheist point of view, it's like, it's all about science. Science can explain everything. We don't need God to explain anything because science explains it all. What I want to do for you today is I want to start unpacking a little science. So I just like, this is the part of the sermon where you just got to like be alert. Take a swig of coffee. Get ready to go. But the first thing is sort of philosophical. I mean, his reasoning is kind of easy to debunk. Because, let's say, for example, I'm hiking in the woods with a friend. And, um, and I say, there are 3,000 different ways someone can try to leave the forest. I only believe in one less than you, right? Because you don't want to go my way. Yeah, but what if my way is the only way out? Yeah, it doesn't work. It breaks that, that logic breaks down really quickly. Like, just because you don't believe in one more, it doesn't, I mean, you could have just omitted the one true one. So that's not it. I think the issue, though, definitely has to do with, we think science and religion are incompatible. I think this is like one of the biggest problems uh, because I think science corroborates faith a hundred percent. And maybe it's because uh, I, I was studying to be a, I was a chemistry and biology major before I came to know the Lord. And so I just always loved science and I always the way I saw it through faith was when I saw a discovery that science made, I would say, oh, that's how God did it. You know, like, I, it just never, that was never a problem for me. But it's a problem for many. So let's try to unpack it this way. Let's say, again, I'm walking in the woods. I like to walk in the woods, okay? It's just, roll with me. So I'm walking in the woods, and, and my friend and I come upon this boardwalk that goes over a swampy bit of ground. And I look to my friend and I say, man, this is awesome. I wonder how this got here. I wonder who put this here. Like, that was really thoughtful of them. My friend goes, what are you talking about? Nobody put it here. It just exists. (laughs) No, no, man. Like, somebody had to, like, take, like, cut the boards and and make them, sand them, whatever they did, and put them. No, man. It just, it's always existed. It just, it made itself. Right? This, it wouldn't make any sense. Because what we would say, and this is the word we would use, we would say that the, that the boardwalk is contingent. 
that's the philosophical word that, that we would say, or, or that's the, even the scientific word. It's, it's contingent, which means it can exist, but it doesn't have to exist. Somebody had to put it in order. Somebody had to make it happen. There had to be a cause for the boardwalk to exist. Okay, now, follow the logic with me. If we expand this idea out to the universe and we see the complexity of the universe, the possible chaos of the universe, and yet what we find over and over again in science and math is an incredible order to everything. That's like the universe version of the boardwalk in the woods. We look at it all and we say, no, 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 it just always existed. It just kind of went together that way on its own. Say, no, no, there had to be a cause. This is where atheists get themselves in trouble because they believe in science and most scientists believe the universe had a beginning. That's the Big Bang Theory, right? Universe had a beginning. So an atheist is like, yeah, but that part of science, I'm not, no, no, the universe always existed. If the universe had a beginning, it has to be contingent as well. It didn't have to exist, but it exists all the same. But it had to have a cause. You with me so far? Universe had to have a cause. Okay. And in fact, if there is no meaning in life, we shouldn't have been able to figure out there is no meaning. Anyway. Let that sit with you for a minute. God makes sense out of the complexity. The universe had a beginning and the universe had a cause. So, okay, but let's just say, all right, the boardwalk assembled itself. The universe just assembled itself together. What are the odds that that's possible? Well, it's interesting. So in order for life to exist on earth as we know it, it's got to have some very specific parameters. One of those parameters is even the tilt of the earth is 24 degrees. There are 322 different parameters. These are the odds that they would all happen by themselves. One, less than one chance in 10 to the 282nd power, which is... A million with 23 trillions after it. That that earth could develop the way that it did. You know, like for example, like the tilt of the earth. If the earth were just straight up and down, it'd have no seasons. It would also mean that it would not have annual plants. Which, what would that do to the agricultural possibilities of earth? Right, it would change everything. Put it this way. The odds of of the boardwalk assembling itself, the odds of the universe coming together like it did, is if you took a quarter and you flipped it and it landed on heads 12 septillion times in a row. That's the probability that that would come together on its own. And speaking of math... If mathematics was something that was somehow beyond the universe itself, right? It's just kind of this always true thing. If it's an abstract that's apart from the universe, it's just, it's, it's a universal truth. Then it's only a coincidence that it would work in the natural world. Why then, if math is beyond the natural world, it works perfectly in the natural world? I know, this is a lot of stuff. Just like, you know, write it down, take a picture on your phone, think about it for a while. There must be, the point of this, there must be a cause. 
that must be beyond the space-time material universe. There must be a cause. And I believe it also says, not just a cause, but a will. There's not just a cause of the boardwalk in the woods. There's a will to protect my feet from the mud. There's a will that takes the complexity of chaos and puts it in order. And what has a will aside from a person? Right? It has to be a personal being. Whatever this cause of the universe is has to be personal. Because you had to have an intention to create order from disorder. This is where most people start in their belief of God. They, they start with the universe. They start with science. And I think if you really start investigating all of this, then you will affirm together with me one of the basic parts of this first, first sentence of the Apostles' Creed. I, Apostles' Creed, I believe in God, the creator of heaven and earth. I don't know all the science behind how God did it. I just know God did it. There's an order. Things just don't get more complex on their own. Which is why I don't think science and faith have to go like this at all. Because I don't know all the quantum physics behind how God did everything. Let's discover it. Awesome. Go study that. I'm with you. But what I know is God created he was the creator of, the he- of heaven and earth. And if I believe he created heaven and earth, I also believe that he must be all-powerful. He must be almighty. He must be in control. Because he's not in the thing he created. He's not the boardwalk itself. He's outside the boardwalk. He created the universe. He must be in control. He is almighty. So I say, I believe in God almighty, creator of heaven and earth. But if I just stop there, I still wouldn't get to the Christian God. Here's why. If I just said that God, God's the creator, God's almighty, then it doesn't rule out the possibility that God can just be a self-serving bully. Because God's supremely powerful. It says nothing about the way he uses that power. It just says God's almighty. It could be God doesn't even care about me personally. Right? God's just powerful and almighty. He's the creator of everything. But, but maybe he's not really close to me. Maybe he just keeps me at a distance. It's like that movie Bruce Almighty. Remember Bruce Almighty? I love it because what does Bruce do when he gets the power of God? The power of the universe. What does he do? Anything that makes his life better. That's the version of God that that just says God's almighty, he's the creator of heaven and earth, and he's going to do whatever the heck he wants for himself. But no, this isn't the Christian God. That's not hitting the strike plate correctly. The Christian God, as in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, says something completely different. It says, for he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before the creation of the universe, he chose us in him to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. 
it's not just that God's all-powerful. He has decided to be all-powerful in a very particular way. In all the ways he can use his power, he decides he wants to be in a relationship of love with us. That's what he chose before he created anything. He chose relationship. He chose love with us. And I love the whole idea of adoption. We were once not part of that family. And then through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, he made a way for us to get adopted. And now we're part of the family of God. We're in on the inheritance. Because of what God has. God's power is self-limiting power that's conditioned by his love. And so for that reason, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Just this first stanza of the creed is so, so powerful. And I think it has very real implications for our life. I think just a couple of these implications, we'll run through them. The first one is that if God is the creator... Go on to the next slide. God is a creator. Go on, one more. If God's the creator, then he created us on purpose for a purpose. On purpose for a purpose. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The boardwalk exists for a purpose, and it was made on purpose. There is a design for your life. There is a purpose for you that he has designed your life to be quite intentionally. What an awesome thought. I mean, gosh, in all my years of doing youth ministry and working with teenagers, I mean, to know that you're not a mistake. Or maybe not teenagers, maybe adults too. You're not a mistake not a glitch. You're not a happy accident. You're created by the creator on purpose for a purpose. The next thing then, if we say, number two, that he's almighty, we're saying that God is in control, profoundly in control. Even when everything seems to be going crazy in our life, God is in control. Go ahead to the next one. God is in control. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ is the one giving me strength. He's in control. He's going to see me through whatever it is that I'm going through. He is almighty. He's got this. You ever have a a teammate, been part of a team, or had a friend who's like, I got this. Got this, buddy. You don't have to worry. I got this. This is God. Every step of our lives. I got this. I am in control. And the next one, of course, number three, that God is a heavenly father. Now listen, I know some of us have baggage with our earthly fathers. Don't project that onto God. God's the perfect father. Perfect in love and sacrifice for us. He adopts me and raises me as his own child. I am his and he is mine. 
But just like the pole vaulter, the pole vaulter's beautiful. And the pole vaulter can read every manual there is to read about how to hit the strike plate and never actually pole vault. They could buy all the gear, get the sweet pole vaulting shoes, the very forgiving spandex. I know you're thinking it, it's all right. Right? And never actually execute the jump. We have to go with what we say we believe and we have to live it. We have to let it inform our lives. We have to actually hit the strike plate and, and launch. That's when we experience the joy, the thrill of soaring in this beautiful way for the rest of our lives. And there is no other feeling than know that you are launched into the plan and purpose of God. And man, it is beautiful. So I want to do in closing is, if, if you go to the next slide, that we're going to say together the first part of the creed. And the idea is that we're going to build this for seven weeks until we say the whole thing. Uh, and then I want you to think about, as a question to yourself, maybe you want to write it on your bulletin, maybe you want to take a picture of it, that it should have a landing point, right? That will say the creed, but then, so that means today I will... And then fill in the blank. I want you to prayerfully think about that as we continue with this series. But first, let's say this all together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. 